Good day, listeners. This is your host, Michael Martins, with the Martins Critical Review, broadcasting today from a somewhat sunny day here in West Kelowna, British Columbia. In this program, we continue our series on the conservation of humanity, today exploring the increasingly draconian and utterly unscientific measures being promoted by our so-called public health agencies. In particular, we will be examining the subject of COVID-19 mRNA vaccination during pregnancy and the myriad of negative potential health effects. For today's episode, we welcome back to the program an ever-increasingly angry and outspoken Dr. Roger Hodkinson, MD. Dr. Hodkinson received his general medical degrees from Cambridge University in the UK, where he was a scholar at Corpus Christi College. Following a residency at the University of British Columbia, he became a Royal College Certified General Pathologist and a Fellow of the College of American Pathologists. He is in good standing with the College of Physicians and Surgeons of Alberta and has been recognized by the Court of the Queen's Bench in Alberta as an expert in pathology. Dr. Hodkinson, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for your time today. It's always an honor to be able to speak with you. Michael, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. And you have to excuse my raspy voice. I was uh, at the, the Freedom Rally here in Kelowna, and it was a loud and boisterous affair. So I've, uh, I've worn out my voice a little bit for today. So the sense of this, of this episode, Dr. Hodkinson, really revolves around a young friend of mine and his girlfriend uh, that I consider to be family. <laughs> excuse me. And they're expecting their first child in December. And uh, the young man's girlfriend asked me about my opinion on getting the COVID vaccine while she was pregnant. And her doctor had informed her that this was the safest thing that she could do for herself and her unborn child. I was utterly shocked by that question and told her that under no circumstances should she accept this advice. And if her doctor persists with uh, demanding such rubbish, that she laugh in his face and exit his office permanently. What is your reaction to such reckless medical advice? One word. Thalidomide. Thalidomide. Very good. Yeah. So, I mean, that was certainly something which was, which was uh, FDA approved, I take it, as well as promoted and, and had deadly results. Thalidomide. Thalidomide. Remember history. Thalidomide. Thousands of kids born without limbs because they never did the appropriate studies on pregnant women. In medicine, as Mike Yeadon has said emphatically, and I quote, as a VP of Pfizer, we never, 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 never give a pregnant woman anything that hasn't been shown to be of the highest safety, have the highest safety factor of any medication for anybody else. We never, ever, ever do that. That was history. What's changed now, I'd like to know. Last time I checked, pregnancy takes nine months. And here we are giving pregnant women a totally untested, highly experimental agent with no idea whatsoever, not just about the effect on the baby, but on early pregnancy, spontaneous abortions. And even before that, the effect on fertility. This is absolutely monstrous, Michael. This has never, ever happened before in medical, modern medical history. We've never, ever given pregnant women something that is untested. And that's going on now, willy-nilly. It's absolutely outrageous. And I repeat the word, thalidomide, thalidomide. 
thalidomide. So what's what's happening here then, uh, doctor? I mean, we have a, a group of physicians who seemingly are are following some sort of edict from above, and obviously not either completely unaware of the thalidomide situation or even the concept of do no harm at this point. I mean, the, the, if, if I'm, if I'm a physician and I'm even completely consumed with my golf game and boating on the weekends, and I've not been paying attention to what's going on, there's still, I think enough information out there where I would be concerned about the ramifications of uh, administering this product to a healthy young uh, 20-something woman who's pregnant and telling her that she is at higher risk for COVID and, and you know, using fear tactics to encourage her to take an experimental medical product. Do not, in, do not expect the average physician to be well-read. They're busy in their practice, they're seeing patients, they're churning them through, they have a target to reach for their income to cover their expenses. Um, time is precious. If they do anything in their spare time, given this ridiculous environment they're in, they want to get out, play golf, as you said, or whatever. Um, no, sadly, uh, I think part of, uh, a partial excuse is ignorance and only hearing it just like lay people hear from the, from the media and from the government. So, but there are certainly many physicians out there who are aware of the traditional methods by which vaccines are introduced and the great caution that's usually applied to particularly pregnant women and children. So for the, that second group, it's not just ignorance, it's, it's um, you know, their defense will be plausible deniability, right? Um, they'd wriggle off, wriggle off the hook, um, having put ethics ahead of their, ahead of their um, money, ahead of their, their ethics. Right. Um, because l let everyone know very, very clearly, the colleges are brutal, medieval in their structure. It's the star chamber. You're guilty until proven innocent. If you wish to contest their eventual decision, it will bankrupt you. So the decision that the colleges are looking for is, yes, the earth is flat. Can I please keep my license now? Yeah, that's the Instead, same situation. I'll, 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 I'll go further than that, Michael. If there's one organization that's responsible for this mess, it is the regulatory authorities themselves. Because they have the power to question what government is doing. In the normal scheme of things, colleges of physicians and surgeons across this once fine country were charged with essentially protecting you from me, making sure I'm not a pedophile, making sure I'm not cutting off the wrong leg, etc. Instead of that, colleges of physicians and surgeons across this country have now become the de facto enforcers of government dictates. The people in the colleges are responsible as co-conspirators with government in the murder, the death of many people who would otherwise have not taken this experimental agent 
because they would have been informed about the consequences. They have intentionally intimidated physicians into not following that basic ethic of informed consent. They have intimidated physicians from even telling a, a patient that they think they should not take this agent. That is despicable. And it's exactly the opposite of what they're supposed to be doing, protecting you, not killing you. They're not doing it directly. Oh no, you're far too clever for that. They're trying to distance themselves from that consequence. But the connection is perfectly clear. Ordinary people have been denied access to informed consent by the very college that prosecutes people for not giving patients informed consent. That's the most Orwellian upside down situation that we're facing right now. Truly no, Orwellian. When yeah, the very that... people that protect you are actually harming you. Yes, yes. Well, well said, sir. Well said. I, I will report, though, that in researching material for this episode, it was quite difficult to uncover information outside of the official narrative. I had to dig quite deep. Uh, there seems to be a real concerted effort to suppress the dangers of being vaccinated uh, with this garbage while being pregnant. Um, have you experienced the same thing in, in, in your research on the subject? Yes, absolutely. The, um, there was a retraction of a paper recently, not a retraction, a criticized conclusion of a paper about the, the prevalence of early uh, abortions, early spontaneous abortions. Uh, that's still very much up in the air as to what the true figure is. Um, the, the bigger picture, though, is getting more consolidated into a, this statement. Um, the first analysis came out a few months ago, and recently it was reiterated by other, other authors that on essentially the big, big picture is that the vaccine appears to be saving three people from death for every two that it kills. Wow. Now, that's not the expected ratio. And let, let me tell you one other thing, Michael. This was really jaw-dropping for me. I've done two consecutive major speeches. And I asked the assembled people, 500 at a time, I said, would, would everyone put up a hand if you know someone who's had a terrible reaction to the vaccine, by which I mean not just a sore arm and a fever, but someone who's had a heart attack, a stroke, or a pulmonary embolus. And in two separate speeches, about the same percentage of people put a hand up. And the number of hands was staggering. Mm. What sort of percentage? Approximately 20%. Wow. Wow. Ordinary people who knew of someone who'd had a stroke, a heart attack, or a pulmonary embolus. Now, the, the reason I'm making that point is we get so focused on the deaths associated with the vaccine. That's terrible. According to the CDC in the States, which is the only reliable source, 45,000 in the States. So just translate that for Canada for the usual 10%, 10% deal, right? So that's around, that's around 
450 deaths, 4,500 deaths in Canada. They're happening, but they're not being reported. They don't want to know. They're hiding the data intentionally because that would certainly not encourage vaccination. No, for sure it wouldn't. And we had a, a very heartbreaking situation here in Kelowna that a, a colleague made me aware of where uh, a gentleman had uh, vaccinated both of his uh, early teen children and uh, lockstep within a couple of days of receiving the shot from the location of their shoulder, uh, they began uh, to be paralyzed and his two, I think they're 13 and 15 year old children are now in hospital paralyzed from the neck down with no prognosis of, of, of any improvement. And I can just, uh, you know, I, I can't even imagine what that gentleman must be feeling. I mean, you know, was coerced or, or cajoled into doing the right thing and winds up with, with two permanently disabled children. Um, and I, you know, I, I obviously, I would imagine that the official narrative from the authorities is that that has nothing to do with the vaccine. This is what I'm saying now to get people's attention. Has it really come to this? Child sacrifice to appease the gods, yes. the new gods. Has it really come to this? Child sacrifice to appease the new gods. It didn't work for the Aztecs. And it won't work for us. You can't vaccinate out of this problem, and certainly not with vaccinations of children who are not dying. They're at no risk other than children with severe underlying disease. Children, there hasn't been a single death in all of North America in a, in a child under 20. None. None. And yet, we're subjecting them to these terrible risks not just of myocarditis, which CDC describes as mild. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Myocarditis, inflammation of the heart itself is mild. What planet are you on? Obviously severe, risky, and devastating for the future because we know from other viral infections, not just COVID, that viral-induced myocarditis, inflammation of the heart, can present a couple of decades later with premature onset of heart failure. Uh -huh. Are you kidding me? Myocarditis is mild? Get a grip on yourself. And imagine, I mean, a, 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 sorry, a, a healthy young 15 or 16 year old, and it looks like it's happening to males more often, you may not even yeah. report that because, you know, you, uh, you know, maybe I, maybe I strain something here right. and let's say that's a 3% or a 5% injury that doesn't get right. reported. And when that young person is 35 going through a stressful situation and right. has a, a heart attack that maybe you wouldn't even notice, now that individual is either dead or in the hospital clinging to life support. And just to extend that analogy for a minute, you're familiar with the Dr. Hoff's um, study on D-dimers uh, following injection. Yes, please, please ex 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 explain that a bit more to us. Yes, Dr. Hoff, a GP in Lytton that was burnt down, um, sadly, along with his hospital, from which he'd been denied privileges, by the way, um, because of standing up about his worry about complications from the vaccine. He decided he would look at people who'd been vaccinated 
and he would study a test called the D-dimer test, which is a test that looks for, it's a test that's evidence of blood clotting somewhere in the body. Now we do that for things like strokes and heart attacks. But what's interesting about this study was that 60% of all the people that he'd vaccinated, who simply had a sore arm, they had no syndrome of central venous sinus thrombosis, they had no strokes or pulmonary emboli, they simply had a sore arm. 60% of them showed evidence that the blood was clotting without a manifestation of it. So the medical translation of that is those blood clots were happening in a very distributed fashion in the smallest vessels in the body called capillaries. Now, if you block off a capillary with a blood clot, then the cells that that capillary supplies with oxygen and glucose, those cells will die. Scattered cells throughout the body. How many? Where? We don't know. But if cells in the heart are being knocked off like that, and if cells in the brain are being knocked off like that, organs that cannot regenerate, then there is a serious risk in the future, decades from now, that these children may be faced with premature onset of heart failure and potential dementia because the reserve of those organs would have been diminished, the reserve that we depend upon as we get older. Now, that should scare the jeepers out of you. And it's not being studied. We do clinical trials for one simple reason. We don't know what we don't know. That's why they go on for five to 10 years of typical vaccine trials. This one went on for six months. So I'm hoping, I hope people are starting to recognize that there are legitimate, non-conspiracy scientific reasons to be seriously concerned. I'm speaking now as an evidence-based physician who spent his entire life in evidence-based medicine, teaching and setting examinations and so on. This is not the way medicine used to be practiced with, with a willy-nilly approval of, a, of an agent that wasn't tested, quite apart from the fact that it wasn't needed in the first place. It never was a public health emergency. And so arguments about the effectiveness of this vaccine versus that vaccine, to me, are totally moot. There should be no argument about the niceties of this versus that. No. Because sooner or later, when you go down those rabbit holes, you start making exceptions for X and Y and Z. And next year, there'll be another vaccine that's introduced with a similar speed, with no, no safety either. No. No argument about vaccines. They've simply got to stop. Stop now. Because they were never appropriately introduced and they're bloody dangerous. So don't go down the rabbit holes of effectiveness. Simply stop the shot now. Yes. And, before, and we I... get any more, before we get any more thalidomides. Yes. Well said. Well said. So on the D-dimer test, I heard, uh, and it may just have been a rumor, that typically people that um, present with such a D-dimer test 
have a limited lifespan. I mean, if, if, if this wasn't from the known vaccine injury, if a patient were to ha have a D-dimer test of this nature, you would be concerned about their potential to continue living. Is that correct or is that, a, is that exaggerated? I don't think so. We don't normally do the test in medicine unless someone's presenting with a stroke or chest pain or something like that. Um, we don't do it as a routine screening test. Um, just to be clear, so people understand what this test what this test represents. When blood clots, you stop bleeding when you cut your finger. It, it's for a couple of reasons. The platelets start clumping all together, and a, a, a protein called fibrinogen that's in solution in your blood comes out of solution. It becomes a fibrous protein called fibrin. And that's why the original protein is called fibrinogen. And fibrin is the thing that blocks the hole, along with the platelet plug. The body likes to try and re-engineer these clots as quickly as possible. So there's, there, are, there are enzymes in the blood that dissolve the clots. And the product of dissolving fibrin is uh, are a series of subunits of fibrin called D-dimers. Okay. So the D-dimers are evidence that your blood has clotted and your body's trying to get rid of the clot. Okay, that makes sense. So we're, and I guess we that's really don't- 60%. That's in 60% yeah. of people getting it. Yes. Don't you think that should be studied? Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, and of course, uh, Dr. Hoff was criticized and, and punished for bringing that information to light. And that's, uh, again, an Orwellian no, situation. No. no, that came later. He was punished because he dared to go public with what he, he was concerned about the neurologic consequences of being vaccinated. Hmm. Okay. He, he produced a video on that. And it was for that reason that he was nailed by the college in British Columbia. Okay, okay, okay. Simply, simply blowing, blowing the whistle as a physician is supposed to do if he sees something terrible happening in medicine. And the very college that's supposed to be doing that itself instead chose to attack him. And Victoria, quite separately, would have called the hospital administrator and say, quietly, no record, get rid of this guy. So that, that happens, that happens, your hospital privileges go like that, like that, one call, that's all it takes. Amazing. Well, let, let's get uh, back to the pregnancy issue here. Um, and maybe the best place to start here is, is uh, the official narrative, which the CDC has released. Um, regarding pregnant people. Now, this is a very strange term to me because I wasn't sure that people could get pregnant. I thought it was women that only got pregnant. Um, so I'll, re I'll read the four points by the, the CDC uh, with the correct gender reference, and then we can discuss the statements. Um, so the, the, fir the first statement being <laughs> that the COVID vaccination is recommended for all people 12 years and older, including women who are pregnant, breastfeeding, trying to get pregnant now or may become pregnant in the future. Two, evidence about the safety and effectiveness of COVID-19 vaccination during pregnancy has been growing. The data suggests that the benefits of receiving the vaccination outweigh any known or potential risks during the pregnancy. 
Three, there is currently no evidence that any vaccines, including COVID-19 vaccine, causes fertility problems in women or men. And lastly, pregnant and recently pregnant women are more likely to get severely ill with COVID-19 compared with non-pregnant women. So I'll, I'll let you respond to those and, and uh, we'll, continue, we'll continue after there. Well, we, we, we covered point one, I think, um, in our previous conversation about yes. the, the zero, zero risk um, of dying of COVID, but lots of risk of getting the vaccine. Yes. The second one is really interesting, isn't it? You have to look at these very, very carefully because these statements have been lawyered. They've been wordsmithed. Yes. Just pause, pause for a minute, if you wouldn't mind, Michael, and read that second one slowly and let me interrupt. Very good. Evidence about the safety and effectiveness of COVID-19 vaccination during pregnancy has been growing. Stop. Has been growing. Listen, you idiots. Don't you think that we should know now, not wait for the growing body of evidence that you refer to? That's been wordsmith. And then it goes on to say, if I'm incorrect, Michael, suggest. There's a need for certainty here. We're talking about the viability of babies. You don't suggest and use this mealy mouth lawyered language to try and confuse people. Look, there are entire government departments full of psychologists who are crafting these messages then lawyered before they're released and with the principal intent to confuse. That is the principal intent. Anyone looking at that language clearly, clearly has been written to confuse. People that misread that statement and think, well, it sounds like it's safe, doesn't it? <laughs> well, there's... there's... Uh, so before before we jump to number three, there, there's a, there's a couple of subpoints in t in two which which you'll probably also find uh, concerning. Uh, the first one being that no safety concerns were found in animal studies, and I guess we could simply re re reply to that one. Well, there wasn't any animal studies. We are the animals being studied at this point, isn't that correct? Well, we are essentially the lab rats. You remember that famous cartoon with two rats in a cage? One's looking at the other one and says, have you been vaccinated yet? And the other rat says, uh, oh, of course not. It hasn't been tested in humans yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's sick humor. Um, you're absolutely right. We are the lab rats. Um, there, were, there were animal studies done, but only one set of animals instead of the usual two. It, it gets nitpicky. But no, no I mean, the, the bottom line is the traditional thorough multifaceted safety studies, as Mike Eden said in great detail as an ex-VP of Pfizer, they were simply not done. Yeah. And it so was fast-tracked to make it because, because of Fauci wanting to have some glory at the end of a failed career. Uh, so number two on this list, uh, which I think is, is a very misleading statement. No adverse pregnancy-related outcomes occurred in previous clinical trials that used the same vaccine platform as the J&J &J COVID vaccine. 
So I'm not aware. I thought that these were a novel administration in the public. So how, you know, that seems to be a completely erroneous statement. I agree. That seems like a bald-faced lie. There, there yes. were no studies in pregnancy. Either First of all, there were no studies in pregnancy during this initial trial. They specifically excluded women. Only 40 women got pregnant during the trial accidentally, so to speak. And that was the sole basis of the of the trial data. 40 women does not constitute a clinical trial when you're talking about the the viability of a fetus. I mean, what planet are they on? They're constantly misrepresenting what they've done and 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 misinterpreting the data. Yes. And then the, one of the other points, which is important to bring up here, they say that vaccination of pregnant people, and I, I omitted to correct that to women, builds antibodies that might protect their baby. And of course, as we know, the vaccine doesn't seem to be uh, effective at all to the Delta variant. So I'm not sure which antibodies they're hoping may protect the, the child there. Well, there's some very interesting research coming out now on the two classes of antibodies that are produced as a result of vaccination. Um, they're called um, facilitating and enhancing. The, the facilitating ones are the good ones that build the, the antibody immunity, which, by the way, is less important than the cellular immunity, the ones from lymphocytes, T cells. But on the humoral side, the antibody side, there are two different antibodies produced. One, one set is, are the good ones, and the other ones are the bad ones. And it's a matter of the balance between the two as to whether or not on subsequent exposure that is coming forth, for example, whether or not which one predominates and determines whether you get this antibody-dependent enhancement, ADE phenomenon, which can be absolutely lethal and certainly was lethal when these trials were conducted in animals before this virus was, this vaccine, so-called vaccine was released. Um, so, yeah, I mean, everywhere you look, there are problems that haven't been studied. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so number three, then, uh, there is currently no evidence that vaccines, including the COVID-19 vaccine, cause fertility problems in men or women. Isn't that cute? <laughs> I'm not sure it's legal. Yeah, yeah. The famous legal adage, you know, absence of evidence does not constitute proof of absence. You know, that's so carefully worded. Well, we're not aware. We're not aware of any evidence simply because we haven't looked for it. <laughs> we, we've been meticulous about avoiding looking for it, and therefore we haven't found it. And therefore it's safe. Believe me, it's safe. How ridiculous. How Orwellian. How despicable to actually intentionally, intentionally wordsmith that for people that are not terribly into the meaning of medical words. How despicable to intentionally, psychologically manipulate people into believing that that means that it's safe. And then number four, pregnant and recently pregnant women are more likely to get severely ill with COVID-19 compared to non-pregnant women. 
Well, there's an element of truth to that because pregnancy is a state of relative immunosuppression. Babies are a foreign object inside a woman and the body doesn't like foreign objects. And so the immune system of a woman in pregnancy is, is partially suppressed and they are, sub, they are more vulnerable to infection, which this is merely one. So that is true. But it also has to be said that the absolute numbers are infinitesimal. And death, sadly, happens. We can't stop every person from dying of everything. Tragic in the extreme for a pregnant woman to die and the baby to boot, obviously. That's not a callous statement to say that death happens, but it does, and we can't stop it everywhere. What you have to do is balance, balance that risk, which is real, but small, against the huge unknown of an experimental vaccine of the baby itself. We just don't know. And until that data is in, no pregnant woman should be induced into being vaxxed simply because there's a slightly increased risk of more serious disease. That again is a misrepresentation. It's a, it's a false binary choice that's being forced on people. And are you aware of any statistics in terms of pregnant women that uh, did die from a COVID infection or, or possibly lost their child as a result of being uh, sick with COVID? I'm sorry, Michael, I'm not aware of the numbers. I'm sure they're there. And I'm sure if once the big enough series is, is, uh, is assessed, that there will be a small incremental death rate amongst pregnant women with COVID as opposed to non-pregnant women with COVID. I think that's quite likely. But the, the scale of that risk is probably, from what I've been hearing, the scale of that risk is very low and does not justify the vaccine. Again, we should be very careful of making exceptions for the use of this vaccine, which is being rushed to market for the, for, on the wrong, uh, with a pretext that was obviously wrong. Because what happens next year when the next vaccine comes in? Are they going to rush that to market too with six months of trials? It's a terrible precedent that's, that, that's going on right now. If we let this one slip through, because of hand-wringing about it's slightly beneficial for these people and those people and elderly people and so on. If we let this, let this slip through, then it's open season on vaccines and open season on the general public. Yeah. No, we go through the usual rigor. This is not Ebola. There's no public health emergency. We should simply be cautious as we normally are, particularly for children and pregnant women. And I don't entertain any arguments and discussion about this vaccine and that vaccine and Delta variant effectiveness and so on and so on and so on. It is irrelevant. Yes. So, and then what about women who are considering breastfeeding? Uh, you know, the CDC themselves admit um, that the vaccines have not been studied in, again, people who are breastfeeding. And there's limited data available uh, on the effects on milk production, vaccination, the effects of the vaccination on the breastfed baby. Um, any any concerns there or, or any research that you've come across which would, you know, 
indicate that this is a very bad idea? Well, we do know from an autopsy that was done in Wuhan, strangely enough, on someone who died of the infection, not the vaccine. We do know that the virus home, homes in on sweat glands in the skin. And there it produces spike protein. And that very paper warned about the possibility of that spike protein and maybe the maybe other elements of the virus, but the spike protein being distributed in sweat, otherwise known as an aerosol. The paper stated that in the abstract. Now, the reason the virus would have been accumulating in the sweat glands is a serious concern for the vaccine because the vaccine is attracted to exactly the same location. The spike protein is attracted to the ACE2 receptor everywhere in the body. And it could well be that this phenomenon of shedding, whether it's on, with bystanders or whether it's with um, uh, babies who are breast, being breastfed, um, it could well be that there is distribution of the products of vaccination um, the spike protein in particular, and maybe the nanoparticles themselves in an aerosol form to be breathed in by bystanders, in saliva with sexual activity, and in breast milk in babies who are being breastfed. We, we, it's, it's, I don't wish to make this a joke out of, out of this, but it's important that people, women listening, realize that breasts are, are merely modified sweat glands. All right? They're, they're just different function right they're metabolically very similar and it's no surprising it's not surprising that there is transmission um, through breast milk there are anecdotal reports of babies being breastfed who are coming down with bloody diarrhea uh, mm. and the, the implication is that that um, it's shedding through the breast milk um, again not studied but perhaps it should have been ahead of time. It makes me blisteringly mad, Mr. Martinez. Blisteringly I, mad. Yeah, I agree. And especially with these younger, you know, 20-something year olds uh, that, are, that are pregnant. And, uh, you know, most women feel a bit more vulnerable when they're in that condition. And, and maybe their, their judgment is impaired because they're so concerned about the health of their child. And with a, an unscrupulous doctor trying to push something, you know, the, the using the correct words for your health, the safety of the baby. I mean, it's a pretty quick exercise to convince somebody um, who hasn't done the research or, or hasn't heard folks like you speak uh, and, and just cave in. Yeah, the billboards that I used to drive past going home. Um, stay young and healthy get vaccinated if that's not a contortion <laughs> right there right stay young and healthy. just the opposite it's going to kill you for god's sake and you're not going to die of it unbelievable well i've got a quote here um from the cdc director uh rochelle walensky which i'm sure will increase your anger and she, she the quote is that the cdc encourages all pregnant people or people who are thinking about becoming pregnant 
and those breastfeeding to get vaccinated to protect themselves from COVID-19. The vaccines are safe and effective, and it has never been more urgent to increase vaccinations as we face the highly transmissible Delta variant and see severe outcomes from COVID among unvaccinated pregnant people. Your thoughts on that uh, somewhat ridiculous statement? The increased transmissibility of Delta variant, which is being used to scare people, is actually a good thing. We want to build herd immunity the natural way by getting it from other people. That's what we've done with the flu for years. Um, so there's nothing to be scared about the Delta variant. It's a good thing. It's not going to kill you. It's a much more mild disease. Furthermore, the, the vaccine, <laughs> allegedly, although I don't like going down those rabbit holes, the vaccine isn't very effective against the Delta variant. Why? Because the Delta variant has mutated. The spike protein of the Delta variant is different from the spike protein of the original version that the vaccine was created for. And so the vaccine is not intentionally set up to destroy the Delta variant. And so the Delta variant um, is not nothing to be feared. Um, but we're only in this position 18 months later because of all these artificial prolongations of things with lockdowns and, and whatever, quarantine. You know, many people, you know, more knowledgeable than me, uh, believe that if we'd let this thing run its course back in the fall of 19, 2019, it would be over by now. Um, you know, th there would be some residual background noise, but we wouldn't have seen the carnage of lockdowns in its many and various forms. We wouldn't have seen the deaths, the staggering deaths from the vaccination and the even more staggering numbers of people getting heart attacks and strokes and pulmonary emboli. Um, none of that would have happened. And we'd have handled it in the usual way with common sense, chicken noodle soup, you know, handkerchiefs, uh, staying home. We decided when we were well enough to go back to work, no testing required. Guess what? We didn't visit granny when we had the flu, did we? No, we stayed home. And when we were well enough, we actually took the grandchildren to see granny. Yes. Who was quite yes. well and smiling and was loving and waiting to see them. Yes. Instead of now, when people at the end of their life when the clock's ticking, they're being prohibited from that gorgeous connection with their grandchildren, isolated, being fed by people with gloves on, as if they're some sort of leper with masks on at the very end of their life. That is despicable. And I might have said one of the most gut-wrenching things that I ever heard, Michael, was a woman who said to me, quote, exact verbatim, quote, I was not allowed to hold the hand of my dying father, close quote. When the jackboots of the state introduce themselves into that last tragic, poignant moment between a parent and a child, that is despicable. Words cannot describe how despicable that is. There's a God. special place in hell for people that do that. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's tragic. I mean, and really, if 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 somebody's on their deathbed and and has a uh, you know a, a short period of time to live, what is the risk to that person? And and clearly, if I'm a you know middle aged person, I have the responsibility, and I've you know made it that far in life. I can decide whether I'm going to hold uh, the hand of my dying parent to to guide them to the you know guide them through that journey. That's uh, that's utterly unacceptable. Michael, um, I know our time's limited, but and it may be a subject for another another session. But I, I would like to outline a refinement of my analysis as to how we got into this mess. Very briefly, if I may. Sure, sure. This is straight out of the Guantanamo Bay interrogation manual, how you break people. You break, you can break society just as well as you can break a person by using exactly the same three techniques in sequence. The first thing that you do is that you make people fearful and you keep on reinforcing that. The graphs in the morning paper with the pieces, so-called cases, which are no such thing. The scariants, which are no such thing. You build fear and you maintain fear. Then you keep people ignorant intentionally. You suppress any counter narrative done brilliantly across politics, the media and medicine. Fear followed by ignorance, followed by isolation, self-quarantine in the new vernacular. When you've got to that point, you've got a trembling blob in the corner. And all you have to do is offer them the get out of jail free card. You dangle a carrot in front of them. Listen, you idiots. All you've got to do is put your life on the line and I'll take the dogs off. The dogs that I introduced with totally arbitrary, for totally arbitrary reasons and I should never have done so. And I realize it now, but I'm not going to say I'm sorry. So the only way to get the dogs off now that I've demoralized you into some quivering mess that will accept anything, just take the vaccine and everything will be fine. That's, that is the Machiavellian plan. And I want people to clearly understand that because that has been orchestrated by psychologists in government departments to get you to that point of accepting the vaccine. Oh, and I would say that the, those government uh, departments most likely include the CIA. That's not necessarily the, the CDC or Health Canada. I mean, we're talking about some pretty nefarious organizations that uh, have come up with this type of uh, mind control. Yeah, that's it. Psychops. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's, it's alive and well, and it's being done for the most nefarious reasons to get the politicians off the hook that they are wriggling to get off because they created the problem. There was no problem in that they created the problem. It was just another bad seasonal flu. That's it. Killing off actually fewer people than working well in children, fewer people than the flu, and slightly more elderly people with comorbidities who could be protected in other ways. Yeah. 
Yeah, and we're certainly seeing that in the overall death numbers pretty much everywhere in the world now, that there really were no excess deaths for 2020. And again, this year, we don't see it either. There's been years in the past, particularly in British Columbia, uh, I believe that 17 and 18 were on par with 20. And yet the population, uh, you know, obviously the population has grown. So though there's actually more deaths by total population in those years than there were in 2020, given the population growth. That's absolutely right. Yeah. That's absolutely right. Yeah. The registered deaths for heart disease and cancer have dropped. And I, but I can tell you as a pathologist with categorical certainty, COVID does not cure cancer. COVID does not cure heart disease. These deaths are being misattributed simply because they have a false positive tested by PCR. No. When they're being admitted for their final admission, with terminal heart failure and, and uh, metastatic cancer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if, if we can look at uh, some of the research that I was able to dig up in terms of uh, the counter narrative to vaccinating pregnant women, um, one VARES report that I was able to find describes a five-month-old breastfed infant whose mother had uh, just received the second dose of Pfizer. The following day, uh, the infant developed a rash and became inconsolable, refused to nurse, and then developed a fever. Uh, the baby was then hospitalized with a diagnosis of thrombotic thrombocytopenic purpura, um, which uh, there were found blood clots in the small intestine, as well as other vessels throughout the body, and the baby died the next day. Are you are no. you familiar with that condition, that diagnosis? Yeah, I, I used to practice hematopathology, the laboratory okay. of hematology. That, that we shortened that to TTP, thrombotic thrombocytopenia purpura. Yes. Yeah, it, it, the temporal relationship is, is very suggestive. Uh, TTP can happen spontaneously. Um, there's not, it's not necessarily an absolute um, connection to the vaccination, but the temporal relationship is, is certainly very consistent. And um, it has been described in, in other people, in, in adults too. Um, we do know that um, platelets, very important for blood clotting, platelets um, have um, a receptor on their surface for the spike protein. Um, and uh, it encourages the platelets to clump. And when the platelets clump, um, that's a, another way of saying blood clotting. Um, blocking the vessel and thrombotic means blood clots, thrombocytopenic means low platelets and purpura means you start seeing these bruises in the skin. Okay. Thrombocytopenic purpura and it, it, it sometimes presents with um, gangrene in the digits and the fingers and toes and, and so on. Yeah, it, it can be widespread and um, it's frequently fatal. So it sounds it sounds awful, and and you know from this uh, report, given the fact that those blood clotting seem to have been forming in the in the um, uh, the intestines, you yeah. could imagine and make the conclusion that you know as an infant that's breastfeeding, sort of a, a bit of a smoking gun that unless the the mother had fed the child something noxious, you know the breast milk was the noxious substance that caused that injury to uh, the intestinal tract. Sure, there, there's a very high expression of the ACE2 receptor for the spike protein in the small intestine. 
that's the small intestine and the testis, uh, male testis, are the two organs with the highest expression of the receptor for the spike protein. So it's not beyond the realm of possibility. This is just a hypothesis that if you, if the baby is swallowing a lot of spike protein, it um, gets stuck on the ACE2 receptor. There will be cell death in that region. Um, that complex would then get through the mucosa of the bowel into the veins that are draining the bowel, the splanchnic veins that then go up to the liver. Um, and so the, the veins leading from the small bowel would probably have the highest concentration of the spike protein that had been absorbed uh, by virtue of swallowing the mother's milk. Yeah, that's that's a, a, un, un, an unbelievable situation. Uh, and then, of course, our brave Canadian vaccine re research scientist, uh, Dr. Byron Brittle, also uh, found a similar result, uh, saying that uh, any proteins which are in the blood may be concentrated in the breast milk, and they have found evidence of suckling infants experiencing bleeding disorders in the gastrointestinal tract uh, in in the bear's reporting system. And you know, uh, he has been criticized and crucified in the media as uh, you know some sort of anti-vaxxing zealot which you know he's simply a, a highly uh, credentialed and and um you know he's raising the alarm because he cannot sit idly by while this is going on so i mean he's a he's another one of these heroes in this movement of of freedom and and personal choice none of the top people in the field are anti-vaxxers i'm not a top person but i'm not an anti-vaxxer either mccullough Yeadon, Malone, Alexander, uh, Harvey Reich, Martin Kulldorff. None of them are anti-vaxxers. They all take vaccines. They, they're not an anti-vaxxer. Mike Yeadon was a VP of Pfizer making vaccines. No, we're not anti-vaxxers at all. We're just very head screwed on evidence-based guys who've been around the block, who know what we're talking about. We know what the norms are for introducing these agents into society. And we are aghast at the, the blindness, the culpability of the CDC and the FDA and Health Canada for that matter and every other regulatory body internationally for accepting these agents as safe. And now, of course, we see the Pfizer one as, as um, escaped the emergency use authorization and has now got full full approval to to be used yes what planet are you off yeah, yeah. i mean really i mean they've only been using these va vaccines quite apart from the trial post-trial they've only been using these vaccines now for about six to nine months and is it typical where that approval would occur based on the original data and not take into account all the additional data, which obviously isn't part of the clinical trial, but you know, the, I'm kind of shocked that the VAERS reporting of all these issues was not even considered in the approval process. Is, is that atypical or is that typical? Well, it, the deaths are, are very important with, with uh, the swine flu um, vaccination program that was stopped dead in its tracks with 25 deaths, 25, two five, not 45,000. Yes. So the, the willful ignorance here is 
just staggering. If it was something like, if it was for Ebola or something similar, it would be a different story. But it's not. It's nothing worse than a bad seasonal flu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, and it's, people uh... are dying in huge numbers and much, much greater numbers of people who've defied death, fortunately, with strokes and heart attacks and pulmonary emboli. In my own experience, asking people to put up their hands, 20% of the people I've spoken to have personal, personal knowledge of someone who's had a serious complication. These are staggering numbers. Yeah, absolutely. In 500 people, you might expect one person to put their hand up, not 20% of them. Yes, yes. And, and we touched on it briefly before on the fertility question. Um, but obviously the, the Pfizer study or the, the Japanese Pfizer study where they showed that the, there's an accumulation of these nanolipid particles in the S uh, protein or the spike protein within the testes and ovaries. And, you know, which... which no, no, sorry. Just to be precise, Michael. Yes. The Japanese... Pfizer's biodistribution study that, that um, Dr. Brittle um, managed to, to get on the freedom of information, brilliant move by the way, um, that showed that in rats, it was heavy concentration of the nanoparticles themselves, not the spine protein, in the ovaries of rats. Okay. Did not locate, did not locate in the testes to a significant degree. The target for the testis is quite different because the nursery cells in the testis, we call them Sertoli and Leydig cells, they have, a, they have the highest expression of the ACE2, the receptor for the spike protein, the, the ACE2 receptor. They have the highest expression in the entire body. Um, so that's a different mechanism of attack on the testis. That's because of the spike protein attacking the receptor. For the ovaries in rats, the studies have not been done in humans, <laughs> again. Um, it's the concentration of the nanoparticles themselves, not the messenger RNA or the spike protein, that's of serious concern about what happens if in humans, the nanoparticles in the vaccine are concentrated in the ovary. Does that produce an inflammatory reaction? And if it does, does that kill the eggs? as likely as not it would. Uh, we call it an oophoritis, uh, an inflammation of the ovary. Um, again, we don't know. We know it happens. We know the concentration occurred in rats. And that should have maybe, just maybe, that should have been a reason to look at the potential for that causing infertility in females. Right. And I think I saw something from Bob Malone as well saying that there has been historic problems with this delivery method of the mRNA system with bioaccumulation in the ovaries. So this was something that isn't new or novel to this round of uh, vaccines. It should have been something that was carefully examined by the regulatory bodies that it, it wasn't occurring as it had before. No, it's well known ahead of time. And, and just so that, you know, full disclosure here, <laughs> I'm a trumper. Um, I believe he's a savior, potential savior of democracy or what's left of it. But on everything to do with COVID, he was dead wrong. Whether it was travel bans or warp speed vaccination or all the mandates or whatever, whatever. He was massively misled internally by Fauci and Burks. And we know that 
from someone that was on his team. So yeah, that's that's the genesis of of how we got in how Trump was was duped. Um, yeah, not none of his none of none of his famous interventions um, had were needed or or had any evidence for for working. Well, and, and I had Paul Alexander, Dr. Paul Alexander on the show, and, and he had commented that, uh, you know, anything that he tried to do because he was seen as being part of Trump's team was summarily dismissed. Right. Uh, so there was definitely a concerted effort to, you know, shut down, make him look foolish and, and to, you know, essentially pull the rug out from under, from under him. Uh, there's no question that it was uh, taking place. No, he uh, was the sole, sole voice of reason inside the White House, and he saw chapter and verse of how Fauci and Burks intentionally misled the president into the course of action that he took. Because yeah. as, yeah. as I said earlier, remember, Fauci, tiny man, small man syndrome, right? Never achieved great success. And failed on this one too and he knew that he was the person responsible yeah. and so everything he did was to save his skin and the, it was worth trying anthony wasn't it yeah i don't think he's i mean he's uh, he's going to be lucky to come out of this one uh without uh seeing a court i would imagine the inside of a court or, or the inside of a prison, hopefully. Well, remember that famous exchange with Paul Rand, all right? Um, Dr. Fauci, in, I'd like in to the Congress. you that yeah. before Congress, subject like your jail term. Mm -hmm. He said that twice. Yes, and, and uh, Fauci was very uh, obstinate uh, and pushed back hard against that. So, uh, you know, he had an opportunity to save himself and he didn't choose to, so. He has lied through his teeth and he knows it to be so there's no escape Fauci. you're the walking dead <laughs> um and we also have then reports thousands of reports of uh, menstrual disorders in women who have either taken the covid shot or been around women that have um yeah. you know a, a especially amongst uh, menopausal women that suddenly start to menstruate again i mean those are some yeah. serious instances which uh, really should not be overlooked. And I think those are being downplayed as well. And, you know, who knows what effect that may have on their fertility um, down the line. Well, probably unlikely on fertility. It's probably dose related. You see, the, the, the reason it's picking up the um, women with menstrual abnormalities, I'm speaking as a pathologist now, the lining of the uterus, the endometrium, as we call it, is the most lush, fragile tissue in the entire human body. I've opened hundreds of them up. Gynecologists don't open up the uterus when they take it out, they give it to the pathologist, right? I see the endometrium. It's incredibly fragile. It's intended to be so as a welcoming environment for a developing embryo. And it takes exquisitely little to disturb the structure of it blood vessels being attacked. And so then it sheds, it, ble you, it bleeds, and the woman has a menstrual period. That's, you know, that's, that's, that's the endometrium. 
um, intentionally welcoming and the spike protein attack um, is sufficient to disturb that very um, delicate balance um, <clears throat> in the endometrium and, and produce shedding. Now, the, the significant thing about shedding, of course, is who's going to investigate it? You're not going to get money from NIH. You're not going to get money from the Gates Foundation. And they control the overwhelming sources of money for medical studies, right? Because look what would happen if that was shown to be the case. And I believe there's strong circumstantial evidence for it in the literature. If that was shown to be the case, then it's the vaccinated who are the new lepers. Right? Because they're the ones that are affecting everybody else. Yes. Now, can you imagine the, re the revulsion of the unvaccinated? No one's going to take the thing if they realize that they're at risk from people who've been stupid enough and duped enough to take the vaccine themselves. If they're putting the unvaccinated at risk without any wish to be involved in that the consequences of the decision of someone who chose to be vaccinated yes it's a real mess isn't it that would that would be the nail in the coffin if that was proven to be present well it's going to be difficult to support this narrative that uh, the political class is trying to push that the unvaccinated are the tinderbox of infections and that we are causing the spread and that uh, we are irresponsible, especially now with the, the information and the data coming out of Israel, which really shows that uh, the vaccinated are the ones who are becoming sick. Those are the ones who are, are in hospital with the Delta variant and uh, the unvaccinated. And spreading it. And spreading it, uh, as we see in the, um, the the paper there from the Vietnamese hospital, where the uh, vaccinated health workers had 251 times the viral load uh, compared to their unvaccinated counterparts. So, I mean, there's uh, it's going to be difficult to to persecute the unvaccinated if the vaccinated are dying in droves. I mean, I'm sure there will be fingers pointed initially, but as the uh, unvaccinated simply refuse to die because their immune systems are not compromised, it's going to be difficult to continue with that narrative. Well, the unvaccinated have a robust immune system. We've all had coughs and colds every year for 20, 40, 50 years. And that cumulatively builds up a broad immunity against any new viruses in the same family, the coronavirus family. And we, we look, in... In nursing homes that had this tragedy of so many deaths, it didn't kill everyone. It only killed a small, a small percentage. The rest of them, exposed to exactly the same environment, did not die. They fought it off, largely because they had innate immunity from previous exposure. Yes, yes. And, that, and that's that cross-reactivity that uh, is being uh, commented on, yes. is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. Our, our immune system, are, it's so exquisitely crafted, you know, to, to identify something that's different, um, but also sufficiently similar to what we've seen before, that it gets knocked off. Um, with, with incredible efficiency. I used to tell medical students um, this, isn't 
when you know the microbiome is now a fashionable word right it has a function right i used to tell medical students this is before the microbiome the, even the word was, was was invented i used to tell them this isn't it interesting that we live to 80 plus years separated from trillions of bugs by a wafer-thin membrane called the intestinal mucosa that's being penetrated all the time, probably every second, by bugs that could kill us and develop a, a bloodstream infection. And we, we don't, it doesn't happen. We live until we're 80. And that's going on quietly all the time. So, so if that was so dangerous and needed such an incredible system to protect us from it, from an evolutionary perspective, it has to have a reason. <laughs> yes. It has to have a reason. Uh, otherwise, evolution would have got rid of it. Um, yes. So I was, I was talking about the microbiome without a name, having a purpose um, way before it was ever identified by name. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So this leads us to a, a disconcerting development, which is the issue of the vaccine passports. And our dishonorable prime minister on his campaign tour of boos and, and jeers and uh, name calling has made the promise of a billion dollars to support provincial vaccine passports. What's your opinion on this? And, and what is your advice to people to resist and, and push back this uh, draconian authoritative measure? Well, just like there's one word to um, suppress um, vaccinating women, thalidomide, there's one word that can be used to stop vaccine passports in their tracks. And it's called HIV. Okay, let's say we all have to have vaccine passports for COVID. Well, tell me, Mr. Minister, what's next? Are we supposed to have HIV positive tattoos on our foreheads? A rather more significant risk for society? Obviously not. A massive intrusion of our rights and privacy. But it, that disclosure knows no end. It's not as if this was some terrible contagious disease. It's not. It's no worse than a bad seasonal flu. If we go around with tattoos on our forehead last year or the year before that we'd had a flu vaccine and therefore we're okay, you know, you can you don't have to stay away from me. No, obviously not. Ridiculous in the extreme. Yes. We don't disclose our personal financial history to anyone except our physician. It's not public information. And eventually that'll get struck down in the courts for obvious reasons. There's a massive intrusion with no purpose whatsoever. Yes. But we'll have to tolerate a year or more until it winds its way through and that gets shut down. But the, the other thing about that, by the way, in, in Alberta, it's called a convenience card. <laughs> oh God, that's, that's an Orwellian uh, term if I've ever heard one. I call it an inconvenience card. Um, you know, 
it's getting taken to extremes. University of Washington Medical School has decided it will not transplant anyone, even if an organ is available with a perfect match. You will not get the organ if you have not been vaccinated. Unbelievable. So what's going to happen, again, just e extrapolate, all right? So someone comes into the emergency room from a, a motor vehicle accident and they're at death's door. Is the first question going to be, were you wearing a seat belt? Yes, this way, no, that way. How far do we go with those arguments? It's so divisive, it's discriminatory, it's despicable. Yeah, it's highly discriminatory, highly discriminatory. And of course here, I'm not sure the situation in Alberta, um, but in BC, uh, the dishonorable Bonnie Henry and her handlers have decided that there should be no religious or medical exemptions. And now I understand having spoken with a few legal professionals that the, the, the religious argument doesn't hold because we're not excluding or persecuting a single religion, it's, it's broad based. But in terms of the medical side, if my, let's say my child has a known anaphylaxis to one of those ingredients, you are telling me that I have to risk my child's life potentially to take two doses of an untested product so that that child can go play hockey, go to the movie theater, you know, potentially even go to school. We have some private schools here in Kelowna that are saying no vax, no attendance. Um, that's a that's a, a an incredibly crazy situation. I also know of a uh, early 30s male who had severe myocarditis from his first shot. Um, he may still be in hospital. I know he was in for three or four weeks. You know, essentially on on death's door. And so this individual has to undergo a second shot in order to get his vaccine passport, so that he is eligible to participate in normal society. And, and that is simply outrageous. And from a from a economic standpoint, and again, I know our our dishonorable prime minister doesn't want to speak about monetary theory, and that's, I think that's more because he doesn't understand it or math. But if I have a uh, if I can prove an antigen test that I've had COVID, well, that means you don't have to pay for two more doses. There's a savings to the public purse, and there's a potential contraindication for a COVID recovered person to be vaccinated with this product. So if I have natural immunity, why would I need your garbage injection? It's intuitively obvious, isn't it? <laughs> natural, natural immunity from an infection is so much more robust and complete. It's not just against the spike protein of that particular variant. It's about, it's against all the other proteins of the virus, it, of which there are many, um, and in common with other viruses of the same family. Natural immunity is the way to go. It's, it's more robust, it's more long-lasting, it's more broad, and it's safe. It's safe. Yes. People and of course, not we... Sorry, we just had that paper come out of Israel by uh, Dr. Gazit et al. Uh, descri describing exactly this about the the natural immunity being far more robust than the vaccination yes. immunity. So you know now we have data uh, uh, regarding this this issue. And not only that, but the 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 concentration of the antibodies that are produced by vaccination drop fairly rapidly with time yeah. over six months. 
And that's why they're talking about these booster jabs, you know, presumably directed against a different spike protein. So, look, listen, people have got to understand. mRNA viruses mutate all the time. It's predictable. We know all about it. It's expected. Therefore, you can never, ever, ever get ahead of an RNA virus. It will always be one step ahead of you. So what are we going to do here? Are we going to submit people to so-called booster jabs every six months for the rest of their entire lives? What planet are you on? It's absurd. That sounds great for business. If I'm in the, if I'm a vaccine company. They've created that trap for themselves. The extrapolation of these things, you know, if it, you know, if one doesn't work, try two, try three, try try 10. I mean, Madness. It's absurd. Yeah, yeah. And so then what is your advice today uh, if you are, if you have the podium to speak to the citizens of Canada, what is your advice to them today uh, for them to, to, what is their response to this vaccine passport? Um, What should they do to take action against it? The first one is to tell you all that you've been duped. You've been lied to consistently for 18 months to the extent that you've been forced to walk around with diapers on your faces. I hope you're intensely indignant about that. But it's much more so, much more important that you consider standing up and being counted. You've got to stand up individually. You've got to take whatever people throw at you, whether it's your employer, whether it's your university, it doesn't matter. Because there's much more at stake here than just COVID. It's a matter of whether the state has a right to control you. It should be the other way around. We control the politicians. They don't control us. And there are much more of us than them. And we're coming for you in the next election. We're coming for you. And if you don't smarten up, get on the right side of history now your reputations and future and pensions by the way are very much on the table well i i I share that opinion i hope that these individuals are brought to justice and i think uh you know a fair uh, after a prison term of of some time that they are stripped of all benefits that they would have expected because clearly none of these, other than a few select individuals that have stood out against this, like Roman Baber and uh, Derek Sloan, Randy Hillier, those people that actually have a spine that have stood up for their constituents rather than going lockstep along with this uh, fiasco, the rest of them should be sitting in jail somewhere uh, for a period of time and then back out into the workforce and actually work for a living instead of sitting at home on a Zoom call collecting a large fat salary with a a fatter pension. Well, that would be very nice, uh, a delicious ending. But of course, if Clinton didn't go to jail, uh, Fauci probably won't either. Well, this is true. It seems like they have somehow engineered immunity from uh, from any prosecution. But, uh, you know, may- maybe we get something like a Nuremberg trial put in place. And uh, if we need to round these individuals up and shackle them and drag them into court, uh, you know, I think that's uh, justice served. Yes, indeed. 
this process is killing people who would otherwise be alive. Everyone should realize that. Yes, yes. And just, just to reiterate something that you said earlier, you had said that the, the vaccine is killing three people for every two people that it's saving. Is that correct? No, the other way around. It, it's, it saves three people and kills two. Okay, okay, okay. So still, it's, uh, that, those aren't odds I would like to, uh, to uh, no. on. Yeah, yeah. No, no nowhere close. Not yeah. close. No. No, that's, that's not the way we that's not the way we approve medicines with that kind of risk ratio. Especially if there are established ways of protecting people early on in the course of the disease, as per the McCullough and Zelenko protocols. Yes, McCullough believes that 85% of the deaths attributed to COVID in the States could have been presented if they'd been sent home with a cocktail of hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin and some other agents. Yes. Um, but physicians, you see, it's not just a matter of not advising people not to take the vaccine. We are actually prohibited, again, under pain of losing our license, from prescribing ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Even if we wrote the bit of paper, the prescription, the pharmacist wouldn't honor it no. because they would report it to the authorities. Yes. The snitching, the snitching is endemic yes yes and we've actually entered a part uh here in Kelowna now where the veterinarian livestock supply places were a source for ivermectin uh and they've since made it essentially impossible to obtain so uh you know yeah. why why is a simple safe life-saving drug that now a, a major g7 nation japan is has elected to administer to its population because of the life-saving effects that it clearly has in, in clinical medicine, I'm not, I was not a clinician, I was a pathologist, all right, but I, I would have frequent contact with clinicians and I, I, I know patients, I was in general practice before I went into, into pathology. In real medicine, when you've got someone in front of you who's seriously sick and is potentially dying in front of you, you don't say, oh, was there a randomized formal clinical trial on this that tells me what to do? No, no, someone's actually dying in front of me and I've got options and they may not be formally approved. And in this case, they're dead safe. I've ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Dead safe from decades of use. And so if someone's dying in front of me, why should I be prohibited from using my clinical judgment to balance the risk, potential risk versus the benefit for someone that's dying in front of me? We have politicians playing medicine. And as I said publicly, that's a very dangerous game. Absolutely. It should never be allowed to happen. Yeah. yeah. We need to, our physicians need to regain their freedom from the shackles of these regulatory bodies and politicians to allow them to practice medicine as they have been trained to do so, to be very cautious, to be very careful about risks versus benefit and make judgment decisions on an individual basis, not on, not, not on a societal basis.
on an individual basis. basis. Because if, if you're presenting to hospital with symptoms consistent with COVID, they'll do a PO2, an oxygen level on you. And if it's not low enough, they'll say, go home. No medication of any kind. And the subtext is come back, as I said, come back when you're blue. Come back when you're blue, when you're much more difficult to treat. That's madness. That's, that's, medical, that's medical malpractice of the highest order. Yeah. And it's not just one-on-one -on -one doctor on one patient. It's on billions of people. Well, God help us all. Dr. Hodkinson, I, I, and I trust that uh, the work that you're doing, uh, the brave fight that you're engaged with about speaking the truth and trying to get it out to as many people uh, hopefully has an effect. And that, uh, you know, if we can turn on a couple people on a daily basis to the truth and have them spread that with their friends, I mean, that's, that's we're, we're really fighting a grassroots, uh, almost guerrilla battle here where, you know, we, we need to influence people person by person and, and uh, give them the truth uh, so that they can go forward and, and spread that amongst their peer group and their families. And hopefully we, we slowly make a difference here person by person. Yep. And then when the books start being written, about the truth, you cannot suppress books. Martin Luther discovered that, the printing press. You can suppress everything else, but you can't suppress books. Yeah. And yeah. those books will be widely read. Mm. And any politician listening, any politician listening, read my lips. We're coming to get you. Excellent. Well, uh, Dr. Hodkinson, let's leave it there on that uh, very formidable note. Uh, as always, I appreciate your time tremendously. Uh, I appreciate all the work that you're doing. Uh, God bless you, sir, and uh, we'll be in touch in the future. Thank you, Michael. Thanks again. Good luck out there, sir. Bye-bye.